Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, it is just an honor to be in your house today. Uh, I just thank you for the spirit that's in this place to serve one another. I thank you for the spirit of family, and I thank you for all that you have done for us through your Son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles or your phones or uh, anything this morning, you can uh, go ahead and take your scriptures and turn over to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We've been in this series these last few weeks on the Old Testament prophet. His name is Elijah, and he has quite a life. And I thought to start us off on this uh, Mother's Day, I wanted to share a bizarre statistic with you. And you're probably wondering, how does this apply to mothers? And it has nothing to do with mothers. But it's an interesting statistic. In the United States, 55% of all Americans do not have a will. Do not have a will. Isn't that interesting? 55% of all Americans do not have a will. Now, I wondered why people don't want to have a will. Well, one is we live in the world of now, so most people don't want to think about anything beyond today. But we know, and this is depressing, Unless Jesus comes back, what's the one common denominator in this room? Anybody? Yeah, we're going to die. Happy Mother's Day. Okay, so we're all, we're all going to die. We know that, okay? But I think that's one of the biggest reasons is people don't want to talk about death. And they definitely don't want to talk about what would life be like if I'm not here. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. It's really important that we think about in our lives what impact will happen to others because of our lives. Are we going to actually have an impact on other people's lives when we're gone because of the way we've lived our lives? This is exactly what we're going to see happens to this prophet, Elijah, and it's what I love. Tony Campalo, years ago, in a book, Who Switched the Price Tags, talked about a, a remarkable survey that was taken. Now, get this, they, were, they surveyed 50 men and women, the common denominator, they were all over the age of 95. Do we have anybody that is 95 here today? Do we have any moms that feel like you're 95 today? Okay, yeah, good, we got half a dozen, okay. When they took the survey, they, they asked them one question. If you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? And there were three overwhelming responses. You ready for this? Number one, they said, I would reflect more. And what they meant by that is, they said we would live life at a deeper level that we would enjoy life as we were living life. We would reflect on that. Instead, we were always moving forward, and we, didn't, and we just didn't take time to actually reflect. Number two, they said, I would reflect more. Not reflect, I would risk more. That I played it safe far too often, and I wish I had taken more risk. One woman in bold print wrote, I would have eaten more ice cream. That's risking. But here was the number one response. I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. I would do more things in this life that would live on when I'm dead. You know what I love about God? He takes us when we're broken and when we feel defeated and when we feel like our life has no purpose and all of a sudden God through his spirit starts laying in our hearts, there's purpose for you. There's a plan for you. And if you remember, Elijah had this amazing mountaintop experience, 450 prophets against one, and he stood his ground, and through God, I mean, the rain came, and I mean, he was literally, you want to talk a mountaintop experience, that's Elijah. And then he went into this deep, 
deep depression. Jezebel uh, was trying to hunt him down and kill him. And that was last week. We talked about this deep valley that he was in. And then here's what God does. He begins to restore him. Do you remember how he restored him? Sleep, eat well, keep moving forward. And then he lays this plan on him. And you know what this plan is? This is a plan for the future. That's what I love about God. He's like, Elijah, I have a purpose for you, and you're going to have an impact on generations to come. Here are the three things that happen. He said, first of all, you're going to go to Damascus. You will anoint Hazel, the king of Aram. In other words, there's new kings. There's new leadership coming, and you get a chance in the threshold to lead them in. Number two, you're going to anoint Jehu, who will be the new king of Israel. But there's even one better than that. I want you to anoint a young man named Elisha who will succeed you as a prophet. How great is that? That every step that he took from that point forward is he was setting up what God was going to do in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And you know what? That still happens today. You just think of the ripple effect in your own families from even your great or great-great-grandparents and see how that's been passed down to you. You know that your life matters. I want every one of you to know that your life matters, not just today, but for the lives of others tomorrow. So Elijah takes this journey, and he cannot wait especially to meet the man who is going to succeed him. So this morning, I want you to know why this is so important. We're going to look at this decision that Elisha, this young prophet, made that is repeated all the way through the scriptures. And it's a decision that we need to make every day of our lives. So again, let's turn with me over to 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him. He threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen. He ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Verse 21. So Elisha left him and he went back and he took his yoke of oxen. He slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his attendant. Now I want you to see what took place there. First of all, this great prophet Elijah shows up and here's Elisha out in the field doing what he does. Like Jim mentioned, uh, fighting fires, rolling your sleeves up, working every day of your life. We all have those things going on in our life. But there's times when God will intercept no matter what you think you're going to do and he'll get your attention. And here's this great prophet Elijah that shows up and he puts a coat around him. Now, why would that be important? I'll tell you what that was a symbol of is I'm passing God's power on to you. I mean, you are now the man. That was a big deal. And Elisha knew it was a big deal. And I want to tell you what he did that was amazing. He took those, the only thing he owned at that time, those 12 yoke of oxen. He slaughtered those oxen as a sacrifice. With that cloak around him, he took the bold step towards following God with all his heart by following Elijah. What a move. I want you to think why that is so important. See, in the Old Testament, there are two things they do, and I love this. The Israelites have memorial stones and sacrifices. 
They would set up memorial stones so that anybody who came after that would look at that memorial stone and say, God showed up here. Something amazing happened here. And we know how important memorial stones are. I mean, just think in the United States all the times that you've stood somewhere that something historic happened. I mean, I love being in those places. Uh, years ago, I remember being uh, in uh, Gettysburg and uh, in the cemetery, and they said, this is the spot that Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address. Now, when you're a kid from Illinois, that's a pretty good spot. You know, I remember standing there and, you know, thinking, what would that have been like when Abraham Lincoln uttered those words that we all memorize when we're in grade school. Memorial stones are important. But the other thing was sacrifice. All through the Old Testament, the principle was you would sacrifice grain or you would sacrifice animals and you would lift that up to God and say, God, I, I surrender one more time. I surrender to you. So when he sacrificed that ox in that day, that was his way of saying, I'm in. But I want to share with you a powerful verse, and I want you to let this sink in, from 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as much as it is to obey the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Would you just say that with me? To obey is better to sacrifice. It is to heed better than the fat of the rams. In other words, you can get in a routine even with sacrifices. God said, don't you dare get in a routine. What I want you to do is do what I've told you to do. Now, let me ask you a loaded question. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever gone to church out of routine? Go ahead and raise your hand. Let's go ahead and do that. Okay, feel bad looking at this. Okay, there are Sundays you just simply show up and you're going through the motions. And if you're not careful, you think this checkoff system, like, look how great I am. I showed up at church today. I mean, God has to give me favor. He, it's not that he loves me more, but okay, he loves me more because I showed up at church, okay? I have sacrificed so much. I've given my time, and, and we feel so good about ourselves, and God's like, you know, I'm so glad you showed up at church, but I mean, seriously, are you obeying me on Monday morning when you have that boss that is a jerk? Are you obeying me? When you have that friend that's getting on your last nerve, when your kids are driving you up the wall, are you obeying me now? Well, you know what you know? You know it was a lot easier just to go to church. See, every day we are called to obey. That's where it gets tough. Years ago, there was Captain Hirona Cortez. Maybe some of you have heard this story. In 1519, he was a conqueror and a, a conquistador. And what they would do is uh, Spain, for example, would send um, someone with these ships to a nation, and their entire job was to conquer the nation and bring back riches to the home country of Spain. And so he gathered up 600 men and women to travel to Mexico to go against and, and capture the Aztec gold and the, the, the incredible wealth that was there. But nobody had been able to do that before. Now here's what's really amazing. Not one of those 600 had ever fought before. These were not soldiers. These are just men and women that he motivated, like, get on the boat, the adventure of a lifetime. And that lasted until they landed. And then he said, oh, yeah, by the way, you may die. You may die. And you, you know a crazy thing happened with that group of 600. Guess what they wanted to do? Get back on the boats and go home. And I think any of us in this room would have probably felt the same way. Boy, that sounded great. 
in Spain, but now that we're here, I'd rather go home. And what he did was amazing. He uttered these three words that have been blazed throughout history. You know what the words were? Burn the ships. Now, what would you have done if you were there that day? You're a little nervous. You don't want to die. And the guy that's leading this whole thing says, oh, great idea. Burn the ships. Whoa, time out. That's how we get home. Why would we burn the ships? Well, you know why he said burn the ships. You don't need any more options. Your option today is you follow me. And if you don't follow me with that loyalty, this will never happen. And then, of course, one of the comments, then how are we going to get back home? He said, we'll take the enemy's ships back home after they're conquered. Now, you know what? That is a decision that is huge because that's a decision that says there is no turning back. It's a decision that all of us need to make every day. Jesus Christ in your relationship needs to know that there's absolutely no turning back. And that pattern goes all the way through Scripture. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 12 through 3, we read this powerful story. So I just want you to hear how powerful that these words are. And the Lord came to Abram, and he said, Go from your country, go from your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make you a great name. And I will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And the peoples of this earth will be blessed through you. Did anybody pick up the word there? Blessed. I'm going to take you, Abram, and I'm going to change your name to Abraham, and I'm going to raise a nation, and that nation's number one responsibility, their mission, to bless the world. And if you follow what I tell you to do, if you're obedient, if you walk into this with a no turning back attitude, this nation will change the world. I will bless them. They will bless the world. It's the same calling that we have. Are we willing to bless? That Hebrew word, by the way, is the word baraka, and it means to praise the Lord, to salute another, and we salute others through service. Are we willing to roll up our sleeves and to serve? Because that's where we come to the no turning back in our lives. A week or so ago, uh, when we were celebrating our one-year anniversary, somebody asked me, uh, we're, we're starting another site in Bedford. And they said, how would you frame success? That's a great question. So look at the west side and what we're doing. How would you frame success? Well, I think you'd all agree we start with biscuits and gravy, amen, and coffee, okay. But what would be the average response to success in a church? The number. How many people are showing up on Sunday morning? But is that really the most important number? Seriously, it's not. You know what the number is? How many of us are willing to serve others? How many of us are willing to roll up our sleeves and not about ourselves, but reach out to somebody else? That's the number that God's concerned about because you know what that is? That's a number of people who are willing to bless and to serve. No turning back. And then you get over to Numbers 14. Here's another story of no turning back. You know it well. The Israelites have just uh, walked through the Red Sea. You remember that? Pharaoh and the army were bearing down, and God basically took them out. And now they were, what, promised 
the promised land. They were free for the first time in hundreds of years. They're free. And every leader in this room, every leader, you can relate to what happened to Moses. You ever had this happen? You're leading and you're excited and the people that are around you really like to complain. Everybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but you ever had a group like that? You ever lifted up your voice to God like, God, I love you, but I can't stand these people that work for me. Now, you don't raise your hand, but we've all been there. Like, why are you complaining? I mean, think about Moses. Man, I have laid my life on the line. I'm 80 years old. I mean, I didn't want to do this. I was a shepherd. Now, look what I'm doing for you. And you're complaining because you don't like the diet. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously. Here's the other thing that drives me crazy. You got to imagine as Moses hears this complaining, he's thinking, okay, wait a second. One of you started to utter this, and then now it's spread all through the camp. And you know what they said? It would be better if we went back to Egypt. Are you kidding me? You were slaves. You were beaten. I mean, think of all that you went through. You were borderline tortured, humiliated, and now you say, you know what? I I think it was better in Egypt. Now think about that. What Moses was calling for is what God is calling for. You need to approach life with a, there is no turning back. I've made this decision to pursue God. I've made this decision to follow Christ, and there is no turning back. But I got to tell you, that's not easy. Let me tell you one of the most heartbreaking things in ministry by far is the men and women and young people over the years that um, are moving forward. Maybe they've surrendered to Christ. They've made a decision. And then there's an old lifestyle, and it just starts creeping back. And they know it's a lifestyle that could ruin their lives, but they just slowly start turning back. They are going back to Egypt. And even though they know that there's been warnings, they, they know the devastation that can happen, they, they just do it anyway. Some of you this morning might be struggling with that right now. That there's something in your life that you know is totally off track from God. And you're walking right towards it. You're going right back into a lifestyle that you know potentially can wipe you out. So I just want you to know, turn back around with a no turning back and you start pursuing God. There's this verse that I I wondered if I should share this because it's Mother's Day, but I figured there's enough mothers here that have cleaned up this stuff, so I'm going to share it anyway. In Proverbs 26.1, it says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. In the message, it says, as a dog eats its own vomit, so fools recycle silliness. Now, what does that mean? It means you know that if you're not pursuing God, how easy it is to go back to your old lifestyle. And in God's eyes, you know what that looks like? It's like a dog eating vomit. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, great, now I have, I have to have lunch. We're going out to the restaurant, and you just mentioned the vomit thing. But how many moms have cleaned up probably this week? You don't have to raise your hands. But I want you to think about why that verse is there. Because he's saying, listen, if you've walked away from this lifestyle and you know what Jesus Christ is all about, and now you're tempted to go back, don't go back. Don't go back. And then one of my favorite incredible stories of all time is in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And I'd love for you just to turn over there with me. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. 
One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake, the people were crowding around him, and they were listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and to the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into the deep water. And he let down the nets for the catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away to me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But him and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And they pulled up their boats on the shore. They left everything, and they followed him. I mean, do you see what's going on? I mean, I want you to let that play out in your mind. Is um, These disciples, these fishermen, and this is something that I didn't realize for a long time, and I did some more studies, that that wasn't the first time that they encountered Jesus. They had been following Jesus for a while. They had listened to his teachings. They had seen the lives that were changed. And on this particular day, just like Jesus always does, he doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes to them. And you know where he goes? He goes where they live. He goes where they work. And the one thing that they did really well is they fished. And when he showed up on the shore, isn't that amazing? As they came in, you can imagine, they were exhausted. They'd been fishing all night. Jesus gets in the boat, and he starts teaching. And they're, they're probably like some of you right now, kind of dozing off like, you know. And uh, Jesus is teaching. And then all of a sudden, you know, the people are amazed. But Jesus switches gears. Instead of this group in front of him, now the focus is on these fishermen. And can you imagine if you're a fisherman, and that's what you do for your livelihood? And Jesus looks at you, and he says, Oh, yeah, let's get back in the boats, and then let's go out in the deep water. Now, you know in their minds you're thinking, I love this guy, but really? Out into the deep water. And so they obey him, and they go out into the deep water. I mean, that's exactly what Christ does to every one of us. He pulls you in, and you want to get comfortable, and I want to get comfortable. And then where does he want to take us? To the deep water. He's like, oh, you're comfortable. Well, I don't like that. So he pushes us out a little bit farther, and they get out into the deep water. And then it gets great. I love that. Drop your nets. What? Jesus, I mean, you're a great teacher, but we fish. We've been fishing all night. And they drop the nets. And then don't you love that as the, as the nets are just, you can just feel the tension, and they call for another boat. and come. Well, Jesus never misses an opportunity to teach. Never misses an opportunity. And they are just amazed. And Jesus, can't you imagine in that silence reaching out and Jesus simply saying this, you today will be fishers of what? Man, you get this. I understand you know all about fishing, but there's something grander in life for you. There's something bigger for you than this. And here's what I love. 
They dropped everything and they followed Jesus. No turning back. This morning, that's what I'm asking you. Are you willing to be at that point in your life that you say, I know I've got friends that are not Christ followers. No turning back. I'm going to follow you. Some of you are the only believer in your family. I know that. You came here today and you have no other believers in your family. And constantly you're thinking, is this worth it? Hey, there's no turning back. Some of you are in relationships you have no business being in. And you need to get straight with God. There is no turning back. You have to make a decision every day. That's why Jesus said, take up the cross. When? Monday, Wednesday, Friday? No. Every day, you take up the cross and you follow me. It is a no turning back every day. You see that pattern all through scriptures. No turning back. Where are you in that? In that no turning back? I've been praying through this all week. And um, I knew it was Mother's Day. And uh, I thought, um, you know, this, this is really a part of my life. Uh, is my mom. And so I want to introduce you to uh, Aline Bertha Robertson, if we can pull her. Yeah. Tell me she's not a good looking woman. Okay, yeah. Uh, my mom, hard to believe, has been gone uh, this August uh, nearly eight years. And I'll get through this. And I got to tell you, she was uh, one of a kind. She really was. Um, that red hat is so my mom. That's just who. Cardinal Red, by the way, if you notice that, okay. <laughs> but here's what she did years and years ago, her and my dad. Um, back in the Depression, they got married. My mom was just shy of 16 years old, back in the Depression days. They were both oldest in their family in Dover, Tennessee. And they did something that nobody in their family had done. You know what they did? My dad said, the work is not here. It's never going to be here. We need to move hundreds of miles away. And they moved up to Granite City, Illinois, because there was all these steel mills. And my dad's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to master my craft as a carpenter, uh, but we're going to move where there's work. And we're going to create a new home. And if the family here is struggling, they've got a place to come to. And a lot of you that are older, you know exactly how this used to play out because it's happened in your families. They moved to Granite City, and one by one from Tennessee, the family started coming up. And I said, well, what did they do when they moved up there? And my mom said, oh, they just lived with us. I'm like, whoa, how many times did you do that? Mom said, I lost count. That's what we do. You, you move in and you live there. And when you get your feet on the ground, you know, she said, your dad had no problem saying, I love you, get out. And then the next family member would move up. And I'm like, you know what that was? That was a decision, no turning back. We're moving, not because it's easy, because this is what we need to do, no turning back. And then for years, they had babies. They had six babies. A lot of kids, big. I mean, life's changing, going crazy. They're surviving, and they're living. And this is why I love what we're doing with our backyard VBS. I want you to think about this. My mom and dad were not believers in their 30s. And two of my sisters went to vacation Bible school. When they came home, they said, hey, mom and dad, I think you'll like this church. And my mom <laughs> is no turning back. And I can't tell you the memories I have of her sitting at that kitchen table, Bible open, every day committing to Jesus Christ. And when she lost my dad, 
her relationship with Jesus Christ just got deeper and deeper. And then you know what that crazy woman did? And I didn't know this for years. Every day when she prayed over her Bible, she prayed two prayers. The first prayer was, protect John. Just protect him. Put people in his life because um, I know this is not going to be easy for this kid, but you put people in front of him. And he did. There's this little church that just loved me and uh, got in my face when I needed it, kicked me in the butt when I needed it, wrapped their arms around me when I needed it, and they just loved me. And then are you ready for this? She did the most ridiculous thing. Only a mother would do this. She said, God, I don't know why. I got a feeling this kid might someday be a preacher. Now, I'm telling you right now, if you don't believe in miracles, you better. Because if you lined up every stinking kid in that church and you took a poll, I can tell you right now, I'm not the one. They would say, I think that's going to be a preacher. I think they were saying he's a kid that's going to hold up the sign, you know, six, six, seven. I mean, that was, I was that kid. But no turning back. No turning back. She was courageous enough to say that prayer, and she just kept praying. I got to tell you right now, I know so many of you today, it's hard. It's Mother's Day. I get it. For some of you, it's a great day, but for some of you, I know what you're going through. I really do. But I got to tell you this. I'm thankful for every mother here that you had the courage to make this a priority. And to every mother here that got on your knees, and sometimes you get down because you think, God, my kids are not where they need to be, and you're just like, God, please help me, and he hears your prayers. I want you to don't give up. No turning back. No, no turning back. That's how much he loves you. So moms, grandmas, you've been faithful. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. And more than anything else, I want you to think about Jesus Christ and the relationship that you need, every one of you need. No turning back. No turning back. Every Sunday we have an invitation. That's just an opportunity for you to come to Christ. But more than that, it's an opportunity just to say, I want to be right with God. And we have folks who will pray with you that will help you as we stand, as we sing.